Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon, Episode 2, Marshal Berthier, Prince of Neuchâtel and Prince of Wagram, also known as the Indispensable Marshal, or the Emperor's Wife, because he was always right next to Napoleon. Louis Alexandre Berthier was born in 1753 in Versailles, son of a noble court surveyor. He was the oldest of five children, and he would go on to define the role of chief of staff for all future militaries. As French General Thibault astutely remarked, quote, no one could have better suited General Bonaparte, who wanted a man capable of relieving him of all detailed work, to understand him instantly, and to foresee what he would need, end quote. Napoleon's first marshal, and in the emperor's words, the one who served me the longest but never failed me, Berthier was described as having a small stature, but always impeccably dressed and shaved. He was slightly built, with a shock of stiff, wiry hair. He wore the most brilliant and colorful uniforms in the imperial armies, with the possible exception of Marshal Murat. His manners weren't pleasant. He was constantly biting his nails due to the stress he was under, but he was also smart, loyal, and punctual. Berthier was also impervious to exhaustion. Some of his subordinates claimed that he once went 13 days without any sleep at all. He stayed up for days and nights making sure his chief's orders were so clear that no one could mistake their meaning. As chief of staff, his role was crucial to the nearly 20 year success of the French army. Berthier was responsible for interpreting and disseminating his commander's orders to the rest of the generals in the field. He had to make sure that Napoleon's complicated strategies were easily understood by his subordinates. His attention to detail was phenomenal. At any given moment, he could reel off the fighting positions and strength of any corps in the army. It is my theory that all great enterprises in history have two driving forces behind it, an idea person and an execution person to turn those ideas into a reality. Abraham Lincoln had General Grant in the Civil War. Roosevelt had Eisenhower in World War II. In the business world, Howard Hughes had Noah Dietrich, Steve Jobs had Steve Wozniak, and Napoleon had Berthier. But I digress. I'm starting with Marshal Berthier because his biography provides a nice parallel to Napoleon's story as he was lockstep alongside the emperor from 1795 all the way to his first abdication in 1814. From their first meeting, Napoleon correctly guessed the impression he had made on his new staff officer and aimed at increasing his influence over him. Meanwhile, he was very pleased with Marshal Berthier as he wrote to the directory, I quote, Berthier has talents, activity, courage, and character, all in his favor. End quote. Berthier, on his side, was very happy with his new superior, as he said to a friend who asked him how he could serve a man with such a temper. Quote, Remember that one day it will be a fine thing to be second to Napoleon. End quote. And for a long time, Berthier was right. He was the first child of Jean-Baptiste Berthier, the geographical engineer of King Louis XV, and the head of the service of geographical engineers for the king. The Berthier family became nobles in 1763, 
having rapidly climbed the social ladder and became very close to the royal family. Young Louis Berthier soon joined his father in the Geographical Engineer Corps in 1766. Later, from 1780 to 1782, Captain Berthier traveled across the pond to participate in the American Revolutionary War alongside French legends such as Rochambeau and Lafayette. Here, he was able to make important friendships and was praised and decorated for gallantry in war. He accompanied Rochambeau's army as it marched 680 miles from Newport, Rhode Island to Yorktown, Virginia. He prepared at least 100 known maps during these marches. These maps reflect his proficiency in cartography. Quick trivia question for you. How many of Mar Napoleon's marshals marched in both America and Russia? Just one, Berthier. For his merit in service, Berthier received a promotion to colonel before returning to France. In 1783, after his return to France, he was sent to Prussia on a military study regarding the systems of Frederick the Great and the Prussian army. In 1789, Berthier was named Major General of the National Guard of Versailles. In this role, he was able to help two aunts of Louis XVI flee the French Revolution and provide protection to the royal family. He found active service as a survey and staff officer and finally as chief of staff for Marshal Luckner in 1792. Unfortunately, Luckner lost his head on the guillotine during the Reign of Terror. At this time in revolutionary France, generals suffered, who suffered setbacks in the field were usually received a death sentence or jail time at the minimum. In 1793, Berthier was sent to fight royalists in the Vendée region of Western France, but was recalled after months of dangerous service. With the reign of terror and the guillotine over his shoulder in Paris, he requested to be assigned away and was made chief of staff for General Kellerman in 1795. In 1796, Napoleon and Berthier first met at Antibes, the Mediterranean resort in southeastern France. A hint of irony or foreshadowing here, Napoleon would escape from Elba 20 years later and start his 100-day reign by landing near Antibes. Back to our story. Despite the age difference of 16 years between Berthier and his future emperor, there seemed to be an immediate affinity between the two men mostly on their opinions regarding warfare. In 1796, Napoleon was named commander-in-chief of the French army in Italy. Napoleon was allowed to handpick his staff and brought along future marshals Berthier, his second-in-command, Murat, the brash cavalryman, and Marmont, the artillery expert. After arriving at headquarters, Napoleon and Berthier quickly had their hands full with organizational and logistical problems. This army of Italy was stationed near the Italian border and was used for operations in and around Italy. Because this front was considered a sideshow, this army didn't receive priority in supplies versus the Prussian-Austrian front, which received the lion's share of supplies in the French army. Shoes and uniforms were rare, Pay and food rations were delivered so infrequently that the French army resorted to looting local residents and mutiny in some cases. Morale was deplorable. Napoleon addressed these issues with his famous proclamation, and I quote, Soldiers, you are naked, ill-fed, 
though the government owes you much, it can give you nothing. I want to lead you into the most fertile plains in the world. Rich provinces, great cities will lie in your power. You will find their honor, glory, and riches. End quote. Napoleon told the Army of Italy commanders, Tomorrow we will have a review, and the next day we will attack the enemy. Short to his word, Napoleon attacked and defeated the Piedmontese army in just a few weeks. Berthier and Napoleon had chalked up their first conquest together. Further victories followed against the Austrians at Lodi, where Berthier rallied a broken column of infantry by seizing a regimental flag and leading it forward through heavy fire. In early 1797, at the Battle of Rivoli, Berthier was again leading a stabilizing combined armed force when General Joubert's corps needed assistance against an attack by General Vinci. It was said that Berthier led a cavalry charge and fought with a stubbornness beyond all praise. The victory is one of Napoleon's most famous to this day. And there's a street in Paris that commemorates it, the Rue de Rivoli. After several defeats suffered at the hands of Napoleon, the Austrians sued for peace in the Treaty of Campo Formio. A little-known fact from this treaty, it secured the release of one of Berthier's old commanders, Lafayette, from Austrian captivity. He had been in Austrian prison for years after fleeing the French Revolution. Lafayette's crime was, and I quote, fomenting a rebellion against monarchies, end quote. It was also during this time that Berthier fell in love and met the second most important person in his life, the beautiful Madame Visconti, who was the lady-in-waiting for Napoleon's wife, Josephine. Visconti and Berthier would carry on their love affair for the duration of the empire. Even after Napoleon insisted Berthier end his affair and marry Duchess Maria Elizabeth of Bavaria in 1808, Berthier continued living with Visconti and managed to have both women under one roof. Ever the champion of order, Berthier had them housed in separate wings of his estate, much to Napoleon's chagrin. However, Berthier and his royal wife would go on to have a son and two daughters during their marriage, with one daughter living into the 1900s. Following the peace treaty with Austria, Napoleon and Berthier looked for their next trophy for the mantle. For a time, they looked at the possibility of invading England, the eternal nemesis of France. After determining that this venture was not feasible, they looked east to Egypt. The French government at the time, known as the Directory, was probably thrilled to have Napoleon shipped off on a knight's errand. Indeed, the government in Paris had heard of Napoleon's genius and were told to promote this man, or he will promote himself. In Egypt, Napoleon was looking to strike at the British Empire's control of the East and India. Napoleon's keen sense of history also recognized that both Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great had legendary successes in this region. In 1798, Napoleon and Berthier discreetly assembled 40,000 men and sailed for Egypt. Along the way, the French army quickly conquered the island of Malta. After landing in Egypt in July, Napoleon captured the city of Alexandria, named for one of his heroes. Then, after a long and tortuous trek through the desert sands, Napoleon's army captured Cairo after destroying the Ottoman Mamluk soldiers in the Battle of the Pyramids. 
After administrating Egypt and making some important archaeological discoveries, such as the Rosetta Stone, Napoleon's army continued their march into Syria. Here, Napoleon suffered his first major setback in the Siege of Acre, where he was forced to retreat back to Egypt. Once in Cairo, a trickle of European news made its way through the British naval blockade. Napoleon learned that all of his gains in Italy had been lost and recaptured by the Austrians and Russians, and that the Directory government appeared weaker than ever. He was determined with Berthier in a closed-door meeting to return to Paris. Due to the disastrous Battle of the Nile, where the British fleet annihilated Napoleon's fleet, he could only return with a small cadre of soldiers. Of course, Berthier was one of the chosen few. After evading the British fleet, the small group made it back to France. In November of 1799, Napoleon overthrew the Directory in a bloodless coup and made himself First Council of France. Berthier was made Minister of War and began a massive reorganization of the army. Frontier fortresses were garrisoned. The army covering the frontiers were supplied with food, pay, and equipment, while the formation of a secret Army of the Reserve was headed by him since Napoleon was not legally allowed to lead an army into the field as head of state. In 1800, Berthier organized a secret march of this army over the Alps to attack the Austrians in Italy. This was no small feat to get a large army and its equipment over the highest mountain range in Europe. After a hard-fought battle at Marengo, Napoleon achieved another conquest and secured his throne. Berthier was then dispatched to Spain as an ambassador and pressed the Spanish to declare war on Portugal, who was England's oldest ally on the continent. In May 1804, Napoleon arranged, named his original 18 marshals, with Berthier being the most senior. This turned out to be a blessing and a curse for Marshal Berthier. The blessing was that he was now the second most powerful man in France. The curse being he was no longer a peer with his fellow marshals, so he was somewhat isolated and resented by his brother marshals. It's tough to be the boss, as he had to manage 17 other very strong egos and address their complaints. Around this time, the Grand Armée, as the French army was now known, was assembled on the coast of France for an expected seaborne invasion of England. Due to lack of sea control, Napoleon shifted his focus to Ulm in Bavaria, where General Mack had assembled a large Austrian force. When Napoleon got wind of this movement from his network of spies, he had Berthier shift his army 180 degrees towards Bavaria and send seven army corps to fall upon the flank of the Austrian commander. The Austrian army couldn't believe that the Grand Armée marched 200,000 troops so quickly to surround and ultimately defeat them. The brilliance of Berthier was dividing these 200,000 men into seven different corps along seven different lines of march. Each corps had its own infantry, cavalry, artillery, support teams, and hospital units. Napoleon also insisted each corps stay within 24 hours march of each other in case one fell under attack. His marshals were expected to slug it out with any attacking army, no matter what size, until help arrived from the neighboring corps. The corps system and logistics system became very important to the Grand Armée, 
and was soon copied by Napoleon's enemies. Maintaining logistics and organizing large body of troops sounds easy, right? Because soldiers have orders to follow, but organizing groups of any size is a difficult endeavor. For example, ask five friends to go to a movie tonight or try to get 10 friends to go on vacation somewhere on short notice. Or maybe ask 50 family members to get together for a reunion. Now imagine that stress times 200,000 men, along with horses, munitions, food, and clothing for those men. It was a daunting task that was performed with Herculean efforts by Marshal Berthier. This performance was topped by Napoleon's strategic masterpiece at Austerlitz, which again resulted in Austria signing a peace treaty after the defeat of the combined Austrian-Russian army. In March of 1806, as a reward for his hard work, Napoleon made Berthier a prince of a small French-speaking territory in western Switzerland called Neuchâtel. The prince never managed to visit his new domain, but extracted large amounts of money from the principality. Two years later, in 1808, he married Princess Maria Elizabeth after Napoleon pushed him to the altar to end his affair with Madame Visconti. But his time for a honeymoon, or any free time for that matter, was limited. France's invasion of Spain had incurred a setback after the defeat of a French army at Belen and the loss of Portugal. Napoleon and Berthier assembled a large strike force of 278,000 crack troops to reconquer Spain. The Grand Army overwhelmed and dispersed the Spanish armies while chasing John Moore and 30,000 men of the British Army out of the Iberian Peninsula. Leaving the mopping up efforts to Marshal Soult, Napoleon and Berthier were back into war planning against a resurgent Austria. The 1809 campaign kicked off with Berthier as commander-in-chief at the front while Napoleon was in Paris. A confusing set of orders had Berthier be bewildered as he continually marched and countermarched Marshal de Vaux's corps into peril. Unfortunately for Berthier, standing next to a military genius does not make one a military genius. The Austrian army almost had the Iron Marshal de Vaux cut off until Napoleon finally arrived at the front and immediately recognized the danger of Berthier's deployments. Due to Marshal Davout's tactical skill and support from Marshals Messina and Lefebvre, the danger was averted, and Berthier was more than happy to hand over the reins to the emperor. After initial successes, the Grand Armée suffered its first defeat in a decade at Aspern Esterling. Berthier called in troops from around the empire to rebuild Napoleon's forces after this loss. The convincing victory at the Battle of Wagram followed with another peace treaty that made Berthier a prince again. Napoleon rewarded his lieutenant's efforts with the title of Prince of Wagram. This added another 250,000 francs to his income. The year of 1810 was mostly a peaceful one other than Spain, and Berthier had the honor of requesting the hand of Napoleon's new bride, Marie-Louise, daughter of Emperor Francis of Austria. Napoleon had divorced his wife, Josephine, in 1809 after she could not provide him with an heir. Berthier escorted Marie-Louise to her new home in France. For the next two years, 
the senior active marshal, both in rank and age, had some peace and quiet at home. However, in 1812, the emperor had a major falling out with Tsar Alexander of Russia and gave Berthier his most burdensome task ever, the daunting invasion of Russia. Pulling together French armies, armies of conquered territories and allies, Berthier cobbled together 500,000 men, along with ammunition, cannons, horses, mobile bakeries, bridging and pontoon equipment, and supporting communications. Overwhelmed with this enterprise, Berthier was quoted as saying, and I quote, I shall die here with all this work. The simplest private is happier than I, end quote. In June of 1812, Napoleon and his army invaded Russia, which would ultimately result in one million military and civilian deaths. Almost immediately, the French supply chain broke down, resulting in the deaths of soldiers and horses. Although Napoleon ultimately pushed on to conquer the city of Smolensk, he paused there and hoped the Tsar would sue for peace. The Tsar did not, and despite remonstrations from Berthier and Murat, Napoleon pushed on to Moscow. After the horrific Battle of Borodino, Napoleon and his troops entered Moscow in September 1812. Again, he waited and waited for a peace accord from Alexander, but received silence instead. After weeks in Moscow, the French army set out back to their homeland in freezing snowy plains of Russia. During the retreat, Berthier and the other marshals protected the emperor from a surprise attack of Cossacks. After a miracle crossing of the Berezina River, Napoleon's army escaped the Russian counterattack. At Vilna, Napoleon quitted the army to hurry back to Paris on a sledge. He left Marshal Murat in charge, and despite his pleadings, he left Marshal Berthier behind to assist Murat. Marching on foot through the heavy snow with fingers and nose frostbitten, the sturdy veteran Berthier endured the physical fatigue of marching, as well as having to carry out all the administrative work. When the difficulties mounted, Marshal Murat quit the army as well to hurry home to his kingdom in Italy. Following this turn of events, Berthier took it upon himself to nominate Prince Eugene, Napoleon's stepson and a talented general, as Murat's successor. Of the 500,000 men entering Russia, less than 20,000 returned. In addition, the French army lost an estimated 200,000 horses and 1,000 artillery pieces. Berthier himself reached Paris on February 9, 1813, with his health near totally broken. He was his usual resilient self and was back on duty by the end of March. After astonishing victories for Napoleon at Lutzen and Bautzen, Berthier pushed for Napoleon to make peace with his enemies. Napoleon could not bring himself to accept their terms, and the war pushed on. During the epic three-day Battle of Nations at Leipzig, Napoleon's army was surrounded on all sides by the combined forces of Russia, Austria, Prussia, and Sweden. In a disastrous decision by both Napoleon and Berthier, there was only one bridge for retreat, and it was blown prematurely by a nervous French soldier. This turned the Leipzig defeat into a rout and resulted in the death of one of Berthier's brother marshals, Marshal Poniatowski.
After a minor victory at Hanau, Napoleon's army retreated to the relative safety within the borders of France. In early 1814, the invasion of France began. Napoleon won several stunning victories against the Allies, and Berthier worked as diligently as ever. But the writing was on the wall and apparent to everyone except the Emperor. Finally, the Allies realized that Paris should be the goal, and pressed on despite Napoleon's presence on their lines of communication. After several stiff battles, the Allies entered Paris in late March of 1814. Napoleon abdicated his throne in April. He released the marshals from their allegiance to him, and Berthier returned home to his family and his 600-acre estate after deciding not to follow Napoleon into exile. He accepted the return of King Louis XVIII and pledged his allegiance to the new government. He had some brief time to enjoy hobbies like falconry, sculpture, and hunting at his estate, which was considered the best hunting ground in the French Empire. The escape of Napoleon from Elba and his return to the throne put an end to all that, as Berthier and his fellow marshals felt torn between their old master and their new master. After escorting the king into exile at the French border, Berthier retired to his father-in-law's dominion at Bamberg. It was on June 1st that the incident happened. As he was watching a division of Russian troops passing through the town from his balcony, he was much distressed by this sight, and he lost his footing and fell tragically to his death. Some claim that it was suicide, but the mystery remains of what happened to the most famous chief of staff of all time. How Napoleon fared without his right-hand man can be clearly seen in the Waterloo campaign. Marshal Soult was named as Berthier's replacement, and he was immediately out of his element. The battles of Ligny, Quatre-Bras, and Waterloo had multiple examples of miscommunication between Napoleon's commanders and resulted in the emperor's second and final exile. As Napoleon succinctly summarized, and I quote, If Berthier had been here, I never would have met this misfortune. End quote. Berthier's family carried on after the marshal's death with his wife, Marie Elizabeth, living until 65, dying in Paris on June 1st, 1849, 34 years to the day after her husband's passing. Madame Visconti also enjoyed a life into old age, passing in 1840 at the age of 80. Two of Berthier's younger brothers also became generals in the French army. Berthier's son, of course named Napoleon, became a politician and nobleman. He had a daughter, Malsi, who in 1854 married Marshal Murat's grandson at the Tuileries Palace. I can only imagine that this thought was a total impossibility in 1812 when the two marshals were freezing and starving as they crossed the Berezina River in Russia. Berthier's granddaughter and Murat's grandson had a son that would go on to marry Marshal Ney's great-granddaughter. The act of Bonapartists marrying within their circle will be a motif as we delve into the stories of other Napoleonic officers. Marshal Berthier also had two daughters, one of whom he never got to meet as his wife was pregnant with her at the time of his death. The family lineage ended in 1918 with the death of Alexandre Louis-Philippe Marie Berthier, the fourth prince of Wagram, who perished in World War I leading a company of chasseurs. 
Hmm. A soldier named Bertier leading a group of hunters. That sounds like a proper place to end our story. Thank you for joining us. See you next time as we dive into the honorary marshals of the empire.